Well, amen and amen. Thank you so much. God bless you, fellas. Thank you. To God be the glory. Great time of worship, man. Amen and amen. It's so good to be here today. Thank you again for the opportunity, the privilege, Pastor. Thank you, Dr. Zach. I appreciate you, brother. And God bless you and your friendship. And uh, I'm just so grateful for your ministry here. And right here, one of your predecessors right here, Brother John. I love you, brother. God bless you. And thank you for... Uh, blazing a trail. I'm not preaching your funeral, but thank you for blazing a trail for us, man. I'm hoping you got a few more years, brother. Amen. 30 or 40 or 50 of them anyway. But I'm telling you, you are a dear brother, always an encouragement to me. And Brother Steve in the back and uh, so many of you, thank, thank you. And I mean that honor. It was a great service last night. I was here. I told him I was back there in the amen corner. And I thought my prayer ministry was okay. But, brother, after that message, I told him I got to up it some. Amen. So, anybody got up their prayer life? Come on. Amen. I do too. And I listened to Brother John's on, on YouTube on Facebook and enjoyed his message. So, uh, man, it's a privilege and an honor to be. I mean that. I don't take this lightly. It's a privilege for me to come and speak and share and preach the word this morning for a few minutes and to help celebrate 150 years. That's an incredible journey. We were talking in the back with your pastor a little bit about how to, you know, honor the past. And yet at the same time, not get stuck in the past because God's got a bright future for this church. God has used this church for so many years and continues to do so. What a great lighthouse and what a beautiful campus you have here. 150 years. So it was at 1872. Is that right? So yeah, because Gardner First Baptist was 1876. We're at 140. If you'll hold on, we'll catch you off. You'll wait a little bit. <laughs> We're four years behind you, but in 2026, we'll have a 150-year anniversary, and I've been kind of taking notes on some of the things y'all have been doing, uh, but that is great. 1872, 150. When of you here when the church began, 1872? Any of you here? Any of you feel like you were here? I don't know. Yeah. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I've just come to fan your flame, and man, thank you. I love this revival you're having Sunday morning and then weekdays uh, during the day, so to God be the glory. I want you to know uh, that I come on behalf of Gardendale First Baptist Church staff and people to say God is for you and we are for you. And we're thrilled at what God is doing in you and through you. Could not be more excited. We pray God's favor on you. Uh, God would just bless you that the uh, latter years of your ministry will be greater than the former years. And that God's hand will continue to be on this church as it has been through the years. So uh, I, w- I want to share, you know, I thought, what do you, what do you preach? You guys have heard so much and uh, this week and, and years, you know, years gone by and your pastor. And so, you know, I don't know, the Lord just, last night I was sitting there in the message, uh, hearing on prayer and then knowing some of the direction the other preachers has gone. And so I just, want to, I just want to come and encourage you just a few moments. And I think the reason I, I think of this, it's election. I don't, some of you probably don't. Do you know we got an election going on today? So anyway, yeah, right? Yeah. And so, you know, in light of that, I, I think the one truth I want to give you today, and I, I know I feel like I'm preaching the choir because you guys probably ought to be preaching this to me. But I'm going to give you this truth today. And I know you know uh, the truth, but it's, it's always good to hear it sometimes again, just to confirm in your spirit that God is faithful and you can trust him. And the reason I, the reason I share that with you, pastors, I know some of you, Brother Steve, others of you, as you travel and talk to many, many churches right now are very discouraged. Pastors are very discouraged and church members are very discouraged. We kind of look around at our world and all that's happened with COVID and some of the fallout that we continue to even have from that and all that's happened politically. There's never been a time where our nation has been more divided than it is now. And the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of his great tactics is division, right? So he called 
causes us to divide over all these issues, social issues and racial issues and financial issues and political issues. And, and those issues have crept into the church. Can I get an amen from the church? And so sometimes when we look around us, it seems like the enemy's winning. It seems like darkness is on the increase, and we wonder, where is God? And I just want to say to you today that your pastor has graced me with the opportunity to come here and remind you today that God is not asleep, and God is not dead, and God is still on his throne. Regardless of what happens in the election today, God is still on his throne. One day, he's going to usher in a new heaven, a new earth, and one day, every knee's going to bow, and one day, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm praying for revival in America. I'm praying for a renewal. I'm praying for a movement of God. But if that doesn't happen, I'm still telling you God is faithful. God is on his throne. He's not dead. And one day, every tongue will confess. One day, every knee will bow and declare Jesus is Lord. So don't be discouraged. Don't be, don't be overwhelmed with fear and concern about what's happening in this world. God is still very much alive. God is faithful. You can trust him. God is faithful. You can trust. Would you just say, that's the one truth I want to get deep in your soul and your spirit today. I know you know it. And for you, some of you have been walking with Jesus maybe longer than Brother Zach's been alive. I don't know. But anyway, I, I know this. So you ought to be preaching to me. But I just want to remind you, God is faithful. You can trust him. Would you say that with me? God is faithful. You can trust him. Come on. God is faithful. You can. I tell you what, let's do it. Let's wake the crowd up. Why don't you guys say, God is faithful. And you, you echo back, you can trust him. Could we do that? Come on. A little, a little energy. A little, ready? Here we go. You ready? Here we go. You guys in here too. Okay. Ready? Here we go. God is faithful. Come on. Come on. God is faithful. Louder. No, watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Okay. Just trying to wake you up a little bit. God is faithful. I heard about this couple who had been married like 50 years and, and they'd taken a, you know, a, a vacation trip, a celebration trip, anniversary trip, 50 years to Hawaii. A local reporter heard about it and said, you know, that might make a, a good interest story. So the reporter shows up to interview this couple, been married 50, 55 years, something like that. They're in Hawaii. And so the reporter says, hey, could you tell me the key to your marriage? What's the success to, to 50 years? Faithful marriage. It's pretty incredible, right? And so what, what's the key to your marriage? And without hesitation, the husband spoke up and said, well, I can tell you exactly what it is. And he said, it all goes back to when we were first married. We went to the Grand Canyon on our honeymoon. And we both got on these little horses, and they were kind of taking us through the trails. And as we got on the horse, we hadn't gone a quarter of a mile, and my wife's horse stumbled, and she looked around the front of that horse and said, now that's once. And I thought, now we've just been married, I thought, well, that's odd. I wonder what she means by that. We've gone another quarter of a mile, her horse stumbled again. And she leaned over the front of that horse and said, now that's twice. I thought, that's odd. What in the world does she mean? We went about a half a mile. The horse stumbled for the third time. She dismounted her horse, grabbed a gun, and shot that horse dead right there in the Grand Canyon. And we've just been married now a day. And I thought, woman, you can't do that. That's crazy. That's against the law. How would, you can't kill such a beautiful animal. And she turned to me and said, now that's once. <laughs> and we've been happily married ever after. Well, God is faithful. God is faithful. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. You can find that one. That's the first one. Genesis, right? The first one. Genesis 12. And I want to give you just, just an overview of this story uh, just for a few moments and we'll go. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1, right? And the Lord says to Abram, get out of the country from your family and, and uh, from your father's house to a land I'll show you. Now watch this. And I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and your name will be great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. 
And in you, now watch this, verse 3. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old. Somebody say 75. 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So here's the deal. God makes this incredible promise to Abram. All the families in the whole earth are going to be blessed through you. You're going to have that kind of lineage. You're going to have kids. You're going to have grandkids. You're going to have great-grandkids. You're going to have great... If I asked some of you, hey, show me some pictures of your grandkids, we'd be here the next Thursday, wouldn't we? I know. And so that's the way Abraham was. God said, I'm going to bless you like you can't imagine. You're going to have kids upon kids upon kids upon kids. Every family in the whole... They're all going to be... All the families in the nation are going to be blessed through you. There's only one problem. Abraham's 75 years old and he has no kids. He's 75 years old and has no kids. Would there be any couple in here? And I, There may not be. Would there be any couple in here and you're, you're 75 years of age or older? Is there any couple in here like that? Yeah, we have a few. All right. Um, sir, what if on the way home from this luncheon, let me get there. Uh, your wife leaned over to you right back here and right here. And she said to you, hey, could we stop by the Walgreens? Well, why? Well, I just kind of feel unusual. I've been craving dill pickles covered in mayonnaise and peanut butter. I think I might be pregnant. Now, after you drove off the road and had a wreck, right, you'd, you'd, say, you'd come back and say, you've got to be kidding. You've got to be crazy. There's no way. That's really the scenario that we have right here. Abraham's 75 years old. We're going to find out that Sarah's 10 years younger. And they have no children. And yet God has made this incredible, amazing, phenomenal promise that, Abraham, you're going to be blessed beyond your wildest dreams. You're going to have kids and kids and kids. And all the families of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And Abraham's thinking, all right, that sounds cool. But there's only one problem. I don't have a child. You know, sometimes God doesn't always move when we want or how we want. So we pick up our story. Watch this. 25 years later. Somebody say 25 years later. How, how old does that make Abraham? Boy, you guys are smart. I'm telling you. Yeah, absolutely. Look at it. Genesis 17, verse 7. Watch this. We fast forward in our story. Chapter 17, verse 17. Genesis 17, 17. And Abraham falls on his face and laughs. And he says in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? So now think about this. For 25 years, God made this promise to Abraham. He's 75. Sarah's 65. And says, you're going to have this great, gigantic, incredible family. Hadn't happened yet. Abraham is now 80. What does that make Sarah? 70. Come on, you guys. We got some math majors in here, don't we? That's right. Wait a second. Abraham's 80. Sarah's 70. No children. Big promise. You're going to have all these kids. No kids. Abraham's 85 now. Sarah is 75. That's right. No kids. Abraham's probably thinking, what's going on, God? It's been 10 years now. You said we're going to have this great family. You said all the families of the nation is going to be blessed through me. It's been 10 years, Lord. I'm not getting any younger. Neither is Sarah. We ain't got no kids. What's going on? Abraham is now 90 years old. Sarah is 80. Come on. No kids. Don't you think Abraham said, God, what in the world are you doing? Have you forgot your promise? It's been 15 years now since you made this promise. Sarah ain't getting any younger. 
I'm 90, she's 80. Abraham now is 95 years old. You know where I'm headed. Sarah is 85 years No kids, yet they're still holding on to this promise that God made. You're going to have this amazing heritage, this incredible lineage. Abraham now is 100 years old, 100, and Sarah is 90, and Abraham is shouting to heaven because he can't hear it, right? And so he said, God, where are you? I thought you made this promise to us that we're going to... Sometimes, as I witness in my life, God doesn't always move when I want or how I want, but God is still faithful, and you can trust Him. As I look back on my life, God has never once lied to me, misled me, forsaken me. Family may bail on you. Friends at some point may forsake you. But your heavenly Father will never leave you or forsake you. And I want to remind you, when you look around at this old world, and it seems like the enemy's winning and God's, God's asleep or dead, I want to remind you, God is still faithful. And you can trust Him. Chapter 17, verse 17. That's what we just read. Now go to the very next chapter. Chapter 18, right? Turn the page. Chapter 18, verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And all at the appointed time. Somebody say at the appointed time. Oh, I could run me a little lap right here. At the appointed time. See, there's, there's a time that God knows about. Sometimes we don't know about. But if you're a born-again believer, you're a child of God. You're a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. You're a son of the Most High God. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. I'm telling you, God will show up at the appointed time. Sometimes we don't know when, where it is. Sometimes we don't know when it is. Sometimes we wonder, God, have you forgotten? But I'm telling you, as I look back over my life, God has never forsaken me. God God has never forgotten. He shows up at the appointed time. Oh, giving praise in the house. Come on, church. Amen. I know it's Tuesday morning. Anyway, at the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life. And Sarah, write this down, mark it down, God says, highlight it, circle it. And Sarah, make no mistake about it, shall have a son. Can I get an amen in the house? He's a hundred. She's 90, still no kid. Houston, we have a problem. I think about these fellows who are waiting in the waiting room for their first child, right? Four of them together, and they're all talking. It's going to be their first child. They're all in the waiting room. They're all anxious. They're all nervous, right? Finally, the nurse comes out, and she hollers, says, hey, hey, where's Tim? Tim said, right over here. I said, Tim, you're not going to believe this. You have twins. Tim said, oh, that is so incredible. I work for double mint chewing gum. She looked over and said, well, what about Bob? Is Bob here? Yeah, Bob, you're not going to believe this. you got triplets. Bob said, well, you're not going to believe this. I work for the AAA Transportation Company. That's incredible. He said, well, where, where's Tim at? Tim, oh, Tim, you're not going to believe this. you got quadruplets. And Tim said, I work for Four Seasons Hotel. That blows my mind. Henry, sitting over the fourth one, fainted, fell on the ground. The nurse said, what's wrong with him? He said, he works for 7-Eleven. Anyway, I'm telling you, God is faithful. You can trust Him. Look at a neighbor. Encourage him today. I say, say it, but don't spray it. Okay, now look at a neighbor and tell him God is faithful. Come on. God is faithful. God is faithful. I, I know you know it, but it's good to hear it in this day and age in which we live. And when it seems like the enemy, when it seems like America just turned upside down and lost their mind, America's gone cuckoo. Can I get an amen in the house? We turn our back on God, we're going to face a judgment of God. But I'm here to remind you, Enoch Baptist, God is faithful. You can trust Him. He's faithful. You can trust Him. He's faithful. You can trust Him. Could I give you a couple illustrations and then a closing scripture? 
Thank you. <laughs> Several years ago, we were going to, uh, when we built our church in 2010 on the, there, uh, at the, uh, right there at the interstate, we had steps that came to about where the corner of these come, and then on the same side, the corner right here. And the steps ended there. We did not have, the steps did not come across the altar at that time. And we'd been in the the building for several years and we just decided, you know, I I said it might be good if we had steps there. For one time we thought, well, we'd keep it open for altar. But we had enough space and we were doing children's programs and some Christmas, you know, dramas and and sometimes special events or weddings or those kind of things. And thought, you know, it's probably good for us to, and we talked about it as a staff and said, you know, I think it'd be helpful. Give us a lot more variety. We ought to fix Finished the steps all the way across the front of that. And so we contacted a local company, and, and we knew it was probably something more that we could just do. We wanted it to match the other steps. And so this company who had, who had built the steps originally, they came in and measured and designed them. And, and then one Saturday they came in, and they built the steps. And uh, we prayed over them and anointed them with oil. And, you know, this is an altar of God. And we had a great celebration Sunday uh, that we were going to celebrate what God had done. And just, just that was an altar on that Sunday that we were going to have a celebration. Before the first service, uh, one of the fellows came in, and I have a little office just off to the side uh, of the worship center, and it was before the first service, and a guy knocks on the door, and he says, Hey, Pastor, there's someone here to see you. And I told him, Well, he's getting ready to go in the first service, and, and so it may not be the best time. And she said, Oh, it won't take a second. It won't take a second. So I didn't know if you'd want to see her. I said, Absolutely, no problem. Yeah, bring her in here. And so he brought this dear lady in here. On this Sunday, we were going to dedicate the new altar steps. And she said to me, Pastor, you probably don't even know me by name. You don't know my story. But about a year ago, in the middle of the service, you stopped your preaching and you said, you were preaching on God's provision, Jehovah Jireh. And you stopped and said, if if there's somebody here that needs a job or you need a better job, we want to pray for you. And he said, do you remember that? And I said, well, I do because it was so odd that it just happened in the middle of the service. I just stopped right in the middle of my message and said, hey, I feel impressed to pray. If you need a job or you need a better, I wouldn't embarrass you for anything in the world. But if that's you, would you just stand up and allow a few of our people to kind of gather around you? And I'd just like to voice a brief prayer over you. I said, I do remember that. She said, I was one of those who stood up. I didn't have a job. I was discouraged. I was financially strapped. I had no... Uh, leads on a job and you stopped and prayed and I stood up and man I prayed some folks gathered around me and laid hands on me as you led us in prayer she said about two weeks later I got a contact from a construction company that said hey we've come across your resume and and we'd like to interview and she said well what's it for and they said well it's kind of for in the design department and she said well I don't have any experience with that and I'd love the job, but I just know they said that's all right if, if you have any kind of skill at all we can train you so if you'd come in we'll interview you and she said, so I did. I went in. I had no training. I had no expertise. And I went in and they trained me for this job. And, and uh, I was an apprentice for a while. And then they came to me and said, hey, we think you're ready to kind of launch out on your own. And she was on the design side. And we said, okay. And they said, we, we just got a brand new job, man. We want you to design it. And she said, all right, what is it? She said, well, there's a, he said, there's a church called Gardendale First Baptist. Do you know that church? He said, yes, that's where I go. That's my church. They said, well, they want to finish the altar steps all the way around the cross, across the front. W- would you design those steps? And she said, I'd be honored, be humbled. 
Now she's telling this to me Sunday morning before we dedicate the steps. Now I want to tell you, tears are rolling down her cheeks. And she's, Pastor, I don't know how to tell you this. But I went home that night, cleared me off a spot and said, God, you are so faithful, you are so good, you are so kind. that You would give me a job in an area I don't even have the training for. And my first job was to design the altar steps of all things for my home church. And I just want to tell you, Pastor, thank you for following God's leading. And I want to remind you, God is faithful and God is good and God is kind. I'm going to tell you, I cleared me off a little spot in my office there before that first service. I had church before we had church. You know what I'm talking about, amen? I want to tell you, God is faithful. I know it doesn't always happen like that. I get it. I understand. But sometimes God will just kind of open your eyes, remind you He hadn't forgotten you. He hadn't forsaken you. Could I give you one more and then a closing scripture? Would that be okay? I don't My wife and I have been married now 35 years. Uh, she's not here, but the best, in case she's live streaming, the best 35 years of my life, okay? <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we got married, we moved to Memphis, Tennessee to attend Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary. This is way back in 1987. So we got married on a Saturday. We went to Florida for our honeymoon, spent a few days at SeaWorld and some places down there. While we were gone, my dad and my brother moved what little belongings we had to Memphis, Tennessee. We'd never been to Memphis. We just knew that's kind of where God was calling us to go to seminary. I didn't know anybody in Memphis. She did not know anybody in Memphis. We just felt that's where God wants to go to seminary. In fact, we called on the phone to the seminary. They did not have housing like a lot of seminaries do. At that time, they did not have housing at all. They weren't out in Cordova area. They were downtown at the old Jewish church, if you remember that. And so anyway, I said, well, could you help us? I said, well, we, some of the students stay in a certain place. You could contact that apartment complex. And so I called the apartment complex. They had an open. I said, hey, we'll take it. Two, yeah, we'll take it. We'd love to have it. So we rented the apartment on the phone. Didn't know where it was. Didn't know anybody in the city. We get married. We have our honeymoon. We put our, we put our dog in the car and we take off to Memphis, Tennessee. All of our stuff's in an apartment in a place that we had never seen. We had never been there before. We get there at this apartment complex. We didn't have a key. Uh, we didn't, uh, you, didn't, uh, you didn't have cell phones back then, you know. And so we had no way of getting in touch with anybody. And so we started knocking on doors trying to find the manager. said, we're here. We don't know where our apartment is. My, my dad and brother had moved our stuff in, and they had left and gone back to Kentucky. So we finally locate the manager, and we get in this little apartment in Memphis, Tennessee. I'll never forget. I could take you to the sawmill drive. I could take you to the apartment complex. 1987. We sat on the couch, and I'll just be honest with you, we wept like babies. We were so homesick. Neither one of us had ever been away from home. We'd always been right there in Bowling Green, Kentucky. My family, her family, all of our family, all of our friends. Here we were in a strange city. We're sitting there in this strange apartment complex. Neither one of us have a job. We don't know one person in the entire city of Memphis, Tennessee. We just felt like God had called us there. And I'll just be honest, we just, we just started crying like babies. And it was in the evening. It began to get dark. And so we leaned over to turn on some lights in the apartment, and there was no light bulbs in any of the sockets. And I thought, who is the nut, who is the cheapskate, who would actually take light bulbs with him? Could I just say as a side note, leave the light bulbs for somebody behind you. They, they might be discouraged, depressed, wondering if God's still on his throne, and a light bulb might be all they need. And so 
incredible. We're sitting there. Honest, it's truth. We're sitting there in pitch darkness in this little apartment in Memphis, Tennessee. We're homesick like crazy. We're wondering, God, did you really call us here? How are we going to survive? We don't have any money. We don't have jobs. We don't know a person. And we don't have any light bulbs. I mean, it was just so depressing and so discouraging. I, I can't begin to tell you that. Long story short, condensed version. My wife ends up getting a little job at State Farm Insurance on the east side of Memphis. Now, we only had one car at that time. It was a little tiny blue Toyota Tercel. Y'all remember Toyota Tercels? Yeah. Ours was held together by bumper stickers in prayer. I'm telling you, that thing, it was rough. It was like Fred Flintstone car. You had to put your feet out to make it go, you know. And, and so she would get up in the morning, and she would get in her little car, and she would drive way over to East Memphis. Well, seminary was downtown at that time, and so I didn't have a ride. And so there were some seminary students in the complex, so I'd hitch a ride with them, and I'd ride downtown town. I'd go to school from 8 to noon. I'd eat lunch. And then I walked across the street and I got a little job at Bellevue Baptist because they were downtown there at the time in their, in their family life center, what they call Pollard Activities Building. It was in downtown Memphis at that time. And I was what they call a work shipper. And so a work shipper would be a seminary student that would work about 15 or 20 hours a week. And so that's what I would do. Go to school, eat lunch, and then I'd work from 3 to 11. My wife would work from 8 to 5 in East Memphis. She'd get off. She'd eat. She'd come down and pick me up at 11 o'clock at night in downtown Memphis, right? Pick me up. That's for all the crime. Anyway, and we jump in a car, drive back home, get home about midnight, start all over the very next day. We did that for about a year or so, Brother Zach. And there was a little church we kept driving by in our area. And for some reason, our heart just kind of felt drawn to this little small church in, in the raleigh Fraser area of Memphis, Tennessee. I don't really understand why. And so one Sunday we said, well, why don't we just visit there? And we did, and we met a few folks, and we just kind of felt a connection there. And make a long story short, we eventually felt like God was calling us to maybe help this little church. They had a small Christian school. I had a sports background because my dad was a PE teacher for 30 years. And so I grew up playing basketball and baseball in Kentucky. I didn't play football. You can get killed playing football. And so anyway... And so I had basketball was a big, strong background of mine, being from Kentucky, and I'd played basketball all my life and had somewhat limited success in it. And so they had a small Christian school, and I started playing basketball some with their, their team, their ball players, and that kind of thing, and kind of connected with them. And I was a little bit older than them, but it was a fun time for me to hang out with them. And so anyway, we just felt this urging that God was telling us to go help this little church. And I thought, well, that's so odd. We were going to Bellevue and loving it. I mean, Adrian Rogers is preaching. Come on, man. You know, Jim Whitmire was the worship pastor at that time. And, man, they were just, it was incredible worship. We loved it. We were in a small group, a Sunday school class then, a young marriage class. It was just awesome. We loved it. We were there for over a year, and we felt this pulling of God's Spirit. And we wrestled with God in the bed. Kim and I just discussing this. Well, you know, I don't know. Have any of you ever tried to argue with God? Have any of you won that argument? I, I never, yeah. So finally, I just said, all right, well, well, that's what we'll do. And so I went in, and I just mentioned to my boss there at Bellevue, and I said, hey, um, I think we're going to plug into a little small church in the area, and we're, they have a little small Christian school and some young folks, and we just felt a niche. They're right in our neighborhood, and we thought maybe we could go and encourage them and maybe be a blessing to them. And he said back, well, that's great, but you know you'll lose your job. I said, no, I didn't realize that. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the workship or jobs are tied to the membership of the church. And I understood that. And once I thought about it, oh, that probably makes sense. Hmm. He said, so if that's what you feel called to do, we'll find somebody to take your job. You'll just need to train them when we find them. I said, okay. 
I went home and told my wife, I said, what are we going to do now? I said, I mean, we, you know, we didn't have two nickels to rub together. Y'all remember those days, right? And man, I said, well, what are we going to do? I can't do without my job. But we still felt this pulling. And God said, I didn't ask you whether you could afford it or not. I didn't ask you whether or not this was a good idea from your perspective. I'm telling you, this is really what I want you to do. And we both kept struggling with this and struggling with this. And finally, I went in and I just told him, hey, look, that's we really felt led to do. So I get it. Uh, you know, if you find somebody, I'll train them. And so we began to pray that God would not allow them to find someone. That's kind of how we felt like God was going to answer our prayer. You know, we said, well, I see what's going to happen. They're just going to keep looking, looking for two years till I finally graduate. And they, you know, ain't God good? And so we were just happy as a lark, man. We thought, God's, you know, God, they're never going to find anybody. God's not going to let them find anybody. Hey, ain't God good? This is great. About two weeks later, he walks in on a Wednesday and says, hey, we have found somebody. We want you to train him Thursday and Friday, and Friday will be your last day. And I said, wait a second, God's not in this. I went home and told my wife that Wednesday, Friday's my last day. And some of you probably can remember those days early on when, man, I, yeah, we, we were living check to check. I don't know what we're going to do. We're in seminary. She's got this little job on the other side of town. I have no prospects of a job. It's got to work around my seminary schedule. And I mean, I'll just be honest with you, we, we were paralyzed with fear. That Wednesday night was a long night. We wept in the bed and cried. God, are you still in this? Maybe I ought to go in and tell him I didn't mean it. Thursday came. The guy walks in. I began to train him. I went to my boss and said, he can't do it. He's not, he cannot do it. He, this ain't going to work. He said, no, 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 train him. I said, oh. I went home Friday. I'm going to tell you, it was a long weekend. We were very discouraged. We were overwhelmed with fear. We were, we were really petrified. We, we had a school bill coming up, and we weren't going to be able to make it. And We'd been going to this little church now for a few months. And That Sunday, we went ahead and went to that little church, and we were sitting in the back, about three-fourths of the way back, about where this dear brother is with a beard I'd like to have. Yeah, you right there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, that's where we were sitting, myself and my wife. And the pastor that day, he came in from the back. The church had already started the service, and they were singing. And he walked in the back doors, kind of back where the camera is. And he leaned over to me, and he said, because uh, I'd met him and said hi to him. And he said, hey, what are you guys doing for lunch today? And I said, nothing. We're in seminary. He said, well, I'd like to take you to lunch. And he said, let's run over here to Old Charlie's. And I said, all right, great. And I told my wife, hey, we're going to Old Charlie's. This is God's answer to prayer. Open up your purse and put every roll you can in there. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I took my suit coat, put on a winter coat. I had pockets full of old Charlie, you know, manna from heaven. You know what I'm talking about. And so we're sitting there in old Charlie's on that Sunday after I'd lost my job on the Friday. And the pastor says to me, hey, look, uh, we know you're in seminary. And a lot of folks have been telling me about you guys. And we don't have a youth minister, a youth pastor for our teenagers and, you know, we have a Christian school, and our coach has resigned from the boys' basketball team. And he said, I was just wondering if maybe you might consider um, quitting your job and helping us as our youth pastor and our basketball coach at a school called Macon Road Baptist School, Macon Road Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. And this is what he says to me. Now, before I could say anything, Pastor, he said to me, now, I know, you've, I know you're working at Bellevue. I know you've got a job. I understand that. And then he said to me, I don't care what they're paying you. We, we will match what they're paying you. And I said, well, they're paying me $175,000 a year. I just want you to say. <laughs> and, 
he laughed and I laughed. And then I said, no, no, no. I looked at my wife. I mean, it did. now I'm going to tell you, I don't, these kinds of experiences I don't have every week. And I know it doesn't always happen like that. I looked at my wife. <laughs> and I said, can you believe this? And this pastor and his wife said, what are you talking about? I said, you don't realize this. And he said, well, you got a job now. He said, start tomorrow. Can you be here? I said, absolutely. Now I want to tell you as I close today. That Sunday afternoon, we went home to our little two-bedroom apartment, Sawmill Drive, Raleigh Frazier, with all of our old Charlie rolls. And I want to tell you, we cleared us off a spot. We were on the second floor. And I don't know who was below us. It was a two, two floors, all it was. But I, I don't want to frighten any of you guys, but I'm telling you, we had us a Baptocostal party that Sunday afternoon. You never heard so much hooting and hollering and celebrating and praising God. And you know what, pastors? You know what God spoke into my life? This is what the Holy Spirit said to me. Kevin, for years, you're going to have the privilege and the honor of standing before my people preaching to them about my faithfulness, my goodness, and my kindness, about my miraculous provision. And you cannot preach about something you haven't experienced. And you cannot give away something you don't have. And you can't take my people to a place you haven't been. So I'm doing a deep work in your life right now at the beginning of your ministry so that you can stand with integrity and you can preach with power and anointing and favor and passion and enthusiasm because you've experienced it firsthand. And I'm looking out at a congregation of folks who've walked with Jesus for a long time. And you've had some of those same God experiences. Can I, could I get a hand raised if that's been you today? I've been sitting here to remind you that God is faithful. And you can trust Him. Genesis 21 and I'm through. Here's how the story ends. As old Park, you, you, you would know this, as Paul Harvey would say. I don't do that with my teenagers. They say, who? I said, Paul Harvey. Just Google him. Look up Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. That's all you got to look up. Genesis 21, and the Lord visited Sarah, mm, just as he said. <laughs> Woo! Don't you love that? Mm, just as he said. And the Lord did for Sarah, just as he had spoken. Boy, there's no God like our God. Amen? For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. I'd put beside that no duh. He's a hundred. Sarah's ninety. At the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Watch verse 5. Now Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. For 25 years, Abraham had waited for this promise. God is faithful. You can trust Him. If, if God could provide for a 90-year-old Sarah and a 100-year-old Abraham, He won't forget you. God is faithful. Would you say that with me? God is faithful. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. Lord, Thank you today for reminding us 
in the midst of the chaos of our world, in the midst of of what seems to be a struggle in the kingdom of God, the churches, Lord, in, in the midst of a time where it seems like darkness is winning. And God's people are wondering, where is God? What's happening to our nation? What's happening to our churches? What's happening to our city? Oh God, thank you for reminding us that you are faithful. And we can trust you. Mm. Mm, God, I pray you drive that truth home tonight. Today, right now, in the hearts of your people. I don't know what they may be struggling with, no doubt, with a crowd like this. I don't know the issues. I don't know the discouragements. Maybe they've got a prodigal son or daughter, grandson or granddaughter. Maybe they're concerned about finances. Maybe they're battling some illness, battling for their life. Maybe they're just overwhelmed with discouragement. Maybe in their older age they feel lonely, isolated, discarded, overlooked, depressed. And Lord, maybe you brought them out here on a Tuesday right in the middle of the day just to remind them hmm, that God Almighty has saved their soul, washed their sins away, filled them with the power of the Holy Ghost and their God will never leave them or forsake them. Could I give you one brief charge and then pastor will come and close us. Psalm 145 says this, verse 4. And I want to give this to you because I think it's very important for where you're at in life. Psalm 145, verse 4 says, One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. I tell our folks, you know, one of the great values of our older folks, and there are so many of them, so many benefits, but one of the greatest benefits is they've been, I say it like this, they've been through some stuff you ain't been through. They, they, they've seen some stuff. they faced some adversity you hadn't faced. I tell my folks, getting old ain't for sissies. Can I get an amen in the church? Yeah. And they've been through some stuff. And they can tell you firsthand, God is who He says He is. God can do what He said He can do. And God is good. And God is kind. And God is faithful. And He will not forsake you. You can trust Him. And what you bring to the body is so valuable to remind the generation below you and the next generation and the next generation, Hey, God has never forsaken me. He's not going to start now. And He won't forsake you, son. He won't forsake you, daughter. You commend God to the next generation. I tell our kids, our grandkids, they'll, they'll want to take, take our money, take the keys to our cars, take, take our stuff. But listen to me. Don't forget to take our God. Can I get an amen in the church? Lord, thank you today for this incredible opportunity. Mm. Thank you for reminding me that you are good, you are kind, you are faithful. And I can trust you.